Welcome to this Janssen podcast. My name is Peter Rundle and my guest today is the Danish doctor Alexander Eber, who has a PhD in dermatology and immunology and currently works at Herlo and Gentofte Hospital in Copenhagen. Also welcome to you. Thank you. Today's topic is psoriasis and comorbidity, something that you've been focusing on in a number of studies. One of the latest uh, published study focuses on the association between psoriasis and inflammatory bowel disease, such as uh, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's, something that's previously been described but with inconsistent data. Now, you performed a nationwide cohort study in Denmark. What did the study show? Well, first of all, other studies in a smaller scale had uh, looked at this before, but there weren't any large-scale data, and most of it showed the overall association that they co-occur, but never the temporal association, whether or not the onset of psoriasis preceded inflammatory bowel disease. So what we looked at was patients who were diagnosed with psoriasis, and then we followed them over a 15-year period. And what we found was that the risk of ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease was significantly higher in these patients compared to the general population. We also looked at differences such as disease severity of psoriasis and whether or not this affected the relationship. And we saw that those who had more severe disease also had a higher risk of developing inflammatory bowel disease. The same went for um, psoriatic arthritis, which commonly occurs with psoriasis. Uh, and they had an even higher risk, showing that, again, there is a quite strong relationship between these diseases. Now, as you say, in a, in a cohort study, you can establish a relationship. Uh, what, how much can you say about causality? I mean, what comes first? So, so it's, it's difficult to say uh, with exact certainty about causality, but you can try based on certain criteria to uh, get as close to the absolute truth uh, as you can. Um, so what we looked was we saw patients with psoriasis who had no history of inflammatory bowel disease and then we followed them over time and looked at the risk of developing this, so being diagnosed with it. Um, and we saw that psoriasis was the preceding uh, factor uh, and usually inflammatory bowel disease isn't something that goes unnoticed because these patients really suffer from this. So you can be quite sure that they have not been undiagnosed for 10 years. Um, so really we can say that there is a temporal relationship with where psoriasis precedes inflammatory bowel disease. Again, there may be risk factors. For instance, we know that patients with psoriasis tend to smoke more, and we also know that smoking may affect inflammatory bowel disease. Again, certain medications have also been linked uh, in this relationship as well. So some of these factors may um, influence the relationship. But we know from large, uh, what we call GWAS, genome-wide association studies, that there are genetic links. So if you have a family history of psoriasis, you have a higher risk also of IBD in your family. And the same goes for uh, the opposite relationship. So in, 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 in the general population of psoriasis patients, what is the risk factor of, of developing uh, IBD? So again, that depends on your severity. So we looked at overall, all patients, and they had about a 97%, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, increased risk of uh, Crohn's disease, and about the same, uh, again, a twofold increased risk of ulcerative colitis as well. Um, so what is important again here is also to remember there is a relative risk and there's an absolute risk. So that you have a twofold increase does not mean that everybody will get it. 
it means that if you have um, 10 out of 100 uh, in one population, then 20 out of 100 will in the other population. Now, overall, the prevalence of IBD is still quite low. Uh, it's about 1% roughly. So this confers a, uh, about a 2% risk instead. So still low numbers, but we see a lot of these patients and they are um, seen regularly. So you will be uh, more likely to find these patients. Now, as I mentioned, you've been looking at comorbidity for quite some, some time. So this is the IBD. Which other comorbidities have either you or other colleagues established uh, when it comes to psoriasis? So in the past uh, 10 to 15 years, there's really been uh, exponential uh, growth in research in psoriasis and associated diseases. So a comorbidity is generally defined as a condition that co-occurs uh, in a larger degree than what you would expect in the general population. Uh, and especially uh, cardiovascular disease has been an intense focus because we've found that patients with psoriasis have a much higher risk of cardiovascular disease, generally myocardial infarction, stroke, uh, and cardiovascular death. And collectively, this is called MACE, so major adverse cardiovascular events. The risk in patients with psoriasis is significantly higher compared to non-psoriasis patients. Um, and we can see that especially in the young patients and those with severe disease, the risk appears to be highest. And I've also read a multiple sclerosis, chronic heart failure, among other co-occurrences. What can you say about that? Yeah, so we know that um, in recent years there has been a lot of discussion of whether or not uh, psoriasis is also uh, uh, autoimmune disease. At least we know that it is immune-immediated. Uh, but also now there are data suggesting that it is an autoimmune disease. And we know that these diseases tend to cluster so that if you have one, you have the higher risk of the others as well probably due to a genetic uh, link, but also there may be risks such as the systemic inflammation in psoriasis. So we also found that patients with psoriasis had a higher risk of multi multiple sclerosis, as you say, uh, and uh, there have been a number of studies also looking at heart failure um, and other uh, like deep vein thrombosis uh, and other diseases as well. So, uh, I mean, this is a lot to take in for a dermatologist treating a patient for, uh, for psoriasis. So how, how should uh, a dermatologist and uh, a rheumatologist treating patients utilize this knowledge? So it's a good, great question. And very recently, there has been this intense discussion also whether or not this is an independent risk factor, meaning that if you control for all, all other traditional risk factors such as smoking and obesity, if the risk remains, it appears to be so. We know, first of all, we know that patients with psoriasis tend to be more obese and they smoke more and they drink more alcohol and they exercise less. So these are factors, first of all, that may influence this relationship. Putting all that aside, it also appears that there is a risk simply associated with this systemic inflammation that's present in psoriasis uh, and quite recently, there were, uh, was a large study in uh, patients with cardiovascular disease without psoriasis, showing that if you decrease inflammation, you actually uh, confer a protection against a new myocardial infarction. So the way to approach this is probably uh, uh, multifold. So first of all, the, the most obvious way is simply to um, 
intervene towards the lifestyle. So these patients smoke more. So this is a great way to really make a difference in these patients. So if you can make them just, first of all, just smoke less or even, just, or even stop smoking. Second, we know that the, they eat unhealthy, they exercise less and they drink a lot of alcohol. So again, these are some of the lifestyle in interventions where you can really make a difference. If you don't know these things and if you don't tell the patient, then they, of course, will not do these things. And also as a physician, um, it's quite important that you screen for these things. Uh, so for the general uh, dermatologist or rheumatologist, um, at least in Denmark where I'm from, there are recommendations uh, made together with the cardiologists uh, saying that you should at least once a year you should do a screening uh, for cardiovascular risk factors. It doesn't have to take that long with simple blood pressure, lipid levels, uh, fasting, glucose. Uh, this really goes a long way to um, screen for uh, risk factors that may be prevented. Um, when it comes to the, to the primary treatment, psoriasis treatment, now, how, how much consideration should be made to any contraindications uh, in, in the, uh, the medication used that there might be towards any of the other diseases? Well, that's a really a great question. So when we talk about the systemic uh, treatments we have for psoriasis, um, it's always good to, first of all, be aware that you should not do harm. You should not give a patient a worse uh, adverse event than the, the alternative of not treating them. So of course you should be aware and we always recommend that you screen them first of all. So if you give some of the, the older systemic drugs, you may want to look at their liver, uh, liver enzymes uh, before starting them or their kidney function. Um, again, in these patients, if they have many conditions at the same time, it's also an obvious choice to focus on a drug that is not contraindicated there or may even have efficacy in that area as well. Uh, so for the cardiovascular disease now, um, you may not want to have a, a, a drug that um, uh, is uh, toxic toward your kidneys or may increase your lipid levels as we see with some of the older drugs. Uh, you may want to have one of the ones where there is better data suggesting that they are uh, effect neutral on the cardiovascular disease or even protective. The same goes with infl inflammatory bowel disease. There are some of the newer drugs that uh, are approved in this area, or uh, at least there's very good data showing that they do not do any harm. And of course, that's an obvious choice. So if you have these complicated patients, at least what we do is sometimes we consult with our colleagues who are specialists in that area to find the, the appropriate therapy. And you nearly took the next question out of my mouth because when we're talking about this sort of area between the various specialities, how well equipped are our health systems to, to tackle a patient who may be primarily a dermatological patient, but, but actually may belong in other areas as well? Yeah, so that's a tricky question. First of all, you have to distinguish between a hospital dermatologist and a dermatologist in private practice because if you are in private practice, most of the time you're sitting alone out there. Um, so you don't have uh, anyone uh, quite close to you uh, to consult with from other specialties. Um, of course, if you find a patient uh, who has certain symptoms where you think this is out of my level, level of expertise, of course you should always refer them to the appropriate specialists. Now in a hospital setting, 
Um, there are a lot of clinics now who have joint conferences between rheumatologists and dermatologists because there's such a large overlap with the joint diseases. Uh, the same goes now also for, for instance, the inflammatory bowel diseases where um, you have these multidisciplinary uh, meetings where we discuss the difficult to treat patients to try to find the appropriate therapy. So always if there is somewhere where you're not completely comfortable managing this alone, you should of course reach out to your colleagues in the same way as we would appreciate the colleagues from other specialties reaching out to the dermatologists. Now, finally, I mean, you've, as I said, you've been studying this a lot and you still are. You have uh, unpublished uh, articles in the pipeline, but you also have uh, everyday patients in the clinic. So how do you go about, now we're talking about, you know, the guidelines and what, but, but, but how much, uh, uh, how, uh, how present is this whole comorbidity uh, issue in your own treatment of your own patients? Yeah, so the most difficult part is always implementing uh, new things and even your own research. So when you're advocating things, it's very easy to just uh, forget about it when you get back to your daily clinical practice. So I try to have some simple rules because also as a physician, if you put too much on the patient, uh, they will not follow through. So I try to keep it very simple and I try to keep it for the basics. So if I know that I have a patient uh, who comes into my clinic and there are some uh, things where I can do a difference. For instance, if a patient is very obese or smokes a lot, um, I try not to attack everything at once. So at one session I may discuss um, this with this patient, I can see that you're very obese um, and uh, is that something you would like me to help you with? So start out slowly and just discussing how uh, the patient's attitude towards that is uh, the same with smoking. Uh, instead of saying you should quit smoking, talk to this patient and say, is this something you're interested in me helping you with? And then taking it in small increments. So perhaps just starting out by cutting down instead of smoking a pack a day, try for the next session you only smoke 10 uh, cigarettes a day and do it in small steps. Uh, we really see we have a lot of research uh, and ongoing studies uh, at our department and we can really see that some of the uh, other projects where you have a lifestyle intervention um, we have had some very successful projects there and patients are actually really um, pleased with these and they're actually sometimes uh, not very happy when the study ends because they can see the difference so we try to uh, take it in increments uh, make some uh, small changes uh, at a time and note it in the patient uh, chart because otherwise you forget it the next time. So you can just write like one line, say, we talked about cutting down on alcohol this time, and at the next follow-up, just briefly touch upon it. So even if you study this at an everyday level, you still have to remind yourself to bring it with you back into the clinic. Yeah, you, you, you have to make this a routine for yourself. Um, so for the everyday physician who sits in a private practice, for instance, it may be, may be difficult also because they have very, very uh, limited time for each patient. So perhaps just start out by saying, okay, for the next 20 patients I see, I have to remind myself, I have to do um, these screening questions, for instance. And once you get the hang of it, it becomes automatic. 
Alexander Hubert, thank you very much. Now, as I said, you have uh, published a lot of articles around 100, not all of them on uh, comorbidity. Um, if uh, you're listening to this podcast and are curious about uh, the publications, you can uh, check out Alexander's publications on PubMed. Thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. <laughs>